As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The race is on, and nobody does it better than Max Verstappen in a Red Bull. Or could they? Christian Horner says there's nobody else in the world that could beat his driver, but is he right? And who might at least be able to give him a run for his money in the same team? I'm Ed Straw, and joining us with all the answers are Scott Mitchell Malm and Mark Hughes. Well, Mark, welcome back to the Race F1 podcast for what must be the 300th time. We've got to count up how many uh, appearances uh, we've had. I think that'd be quite a, a good idea. But how are you enjoying the uh, hot weather in your part of the world? It's hot, but it's about to be very wet, I feel. It's got that uh, sense that um, it's all about to break and come to a, a very wet and soggy conclusion. But um, yeah, it's fine. It's all right. Excellent. Well, hopefully the podcast won't come to a wet and soggy conclusion and we'll be able to keep it uh, upbeat and enjoyable all the way through. And Scott Mitchell Malm, obviously you're a little bit further apart from us uh, over there in Sweden. How's life over there? I presume you're under snow, even though it's September. No, not quite. I'm still enjoying a sort of uh, a late flourish to, to summer before autumn really sets in. So it's been been nice enough. Enjoying a little bit of uh, downtime for what will be my um, before what will be my first couple of uh, last couple of races for for a little while before the end of the season. So off to Singapore and and Japan, and then a few races on the sidelines to do something that I'm sure will be incredibly relaxing. <laughs> well. I think the fact that in this part of the world it's quite hot and humid is good preparation for Singapore, even though it's a night race. Still a uh, a pretty warm place, but an absolutely brilliant race, Singapore Grand Prix. It's a classic from the moment it first came onto the calendar. Well, let's get on to our main topic, because it was inspired by a comment made by Red Bull team principal Christian Horner after Max Verstappen took that record 10th consecutive victory in the Italian Grand Prix. He said, he's driving at an unbelievable level. I don't think there's anybody in the world right now that could beat Max Verstappen in 
this car, that's for sure. So we thought, well, is there? And obviously it's entirely subjective and it's not really about trying to say X or Y is better than or as good as or any of those arguments. It's more a way to understand the relative strengths of F1's top drivers and also perhaps appreciate just how remarkable what Verstappen is doing. So Mark, as a starting point, we should perhaps try and quantify exactly what Max Verstappen is doing so well. I think I agree with Christian that in that car he's doing something um, that's probably beyond what anybody else could be doing in that car. It's not the same as could anyone else get more or, or as much or more from a different car, a car with different traits, but we'll come to that in a minute. But the point is Max can drive a car on the nose incredibly well, a car, a car which has got incredibly uh, quick rotation into a corner, into slow corners in particular. And the extent, what for him is a responsive car on corner entry is for, would for others, most others, be unstable. And to be able to turn a car which is eager to change direction, particularly in the slow corners, into an asset requires an incredible feel and sensitivity in how you trade off the yaw of the car, i.e. the difference between its attitude and the direction of travel against the brakes, steering and throttle. It's a standard part of driving a racing car, but for any driver where the stability limit defines how much rotation in the car you can live with before it, A, loses your confidence on corner entry that you're not going to be able to control it, and B, loses you more time with a rear slide later in the corner than you've gained on the entry with a quick rotation. Um, to, to, to not suffer that loss but still take the benefits requires incredible sensitivity. Um, to, to work the brakes against the steering near the stability limit, it requires the driver to be very dynamic and reaction reactive to what the car is telling him, and which is where the sensitivity comes in. And he's able, able to be making the correct mini inputs, which prevent the rear slide and the consequent time loss. But he retains the very quick rotation, which is lap time gold dust. And that's what he does incredibly well. But it's a natural process for him. And his adaptation to whatever the car and the track throw at him is part of that mastery. So when the car traits change with updates, he adapts instantly, whereas Perez feels like in Barcelona onwards, the car's asking me to drive it in a different, unnatural way. For Max, there isn't an unnatural way. There is no unnatural way. And um, this can have downsides. It led to Red Bull going the wrong direction with that trait in 2020 and taking it too far and taking most of the season to um, reverse out of that but once they understood that they were able to then capitalize on what max can give them so yeah that's 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 at the essence of what he does he does everything incredibly well but that's the essence it's his um ability to live with a um a very on the nose car and his um his completely natural skill and just uh, the way he adapts to any new circumstance well, what you said there illustrates one of those eternal truths. Often there is a certain challenge to getting a car that's closer to the edge of absolute peak potential performance than perhaps one that's a little bit more benign. And if you can put all those challenges together, you can extract tremendous performance from it. We've seen this in the past from the great drivers. And there are some drivers who can be outstandingly good and at the same sort of level in certain circumstances, but not across all the circumstances. That's the big thing. But Scott, one thing I guess we should perhaps talk about before we get into some of the other drivers is is we can sort of break up what Horner said, because obviously, as Mark said there, beating Verstappen in this car, this exact Red Bull, 
would be very, very difficult. But then you have other questions, don't you? It's what would happen if you had other drivers in the same team with the same influence on development direction, et cetera, et cetera. What about a driver who was literally a teammate there in, in a Red Bull? So that there's lots of different versions of uh, of this sort of debate we can we can go down into. Yeah, it all depends on whether you're transposing driver X into Verstappen's exact scenario or whether you're tailoring driver X's scenario at Red Bull to those various other factors. Is it as simple as um, what happens if you throw them in alongside Verstappen next year? What if they'd been at the team for as long as Verstappen has and they were the ones that came in in mid-2016? You know, there's various ways you can you can frame it and it's such a subjective argument because you can basically frame it in a way that guides the conclusion and the way that you want the, the conversation to go. I, I think the... I think the main thing with what Horner's saying about Verstappen, and it sort of comes back a little bit to what Mark said about it all being so so tailor made, is the I I I said this um, I said this a little while ago. I think we've done a we did a featured in a, in, in a videos on our YouTube channel and on written articles as well that there is an there is clearly an, an argument for the Red Bull being favoured towards Verstappen, built around Verstappen, not not in the way that I think it's often accused. And as Verstappen and Christian Horner have rebuffed, it isn't the right way to go racing to just do absolutely everything about one around one in, individual. Um it, it shows a slight lack of understanding. But inevitably you will gear your efforts around what your lead driver, your best driver can handle, what what they can deal with. If if the fastest car possible is one that has these traits and Verstappen can handle it and a Sergio Perez and Alex Albon and a Pierre Gasly can't handle it, that's what that car will be like because that is the fastest car. It's better to do that than it is to build a, a, a car that is easier for someone else to drive or tailor-made to another driver, the weaker driver, if that car's going to be two, three tenths slower in qualifying or over a, you know, in, in a race per lap because then you're willfully imposing a performance ceiling and, and, and that's the beauty of what a Max Verstappen gives to someone like Red Bull. If you can see that there is extra performance to be gained by leaning on the front and giving them giving the car a little bit more of a front end here and there you will move that car away from a driver like Perez but you will play into the hands of a Verstappen who can not only adapt to it but can make it work over one lap into devastating effect and then just as impressively because I think this does get overlooked can also deal with that in race trim because the way that Max like likes to drive or can drive you know maneuvering the car around on the nose and having the rear move around a little bit that could be murder for the rear tires and he's played around with that he's learned ways to improve his driving to get the most out of this car not just in qualifying but over a race distance and and that's really really easy to underestimate yeah and i think that point about the direction um, of, of development it's not so much that the driver is saying i want this this and this it's more that you know, the wind tunnel, the aerodynamicists are saying, okay, we found something in the tunnel or in CFT, and if we change this, this, and this, it'll give us this, and it's given us a better number. But when you put that car on the track, it might be that, yeah, okay, it's theoretically better, but I I can't drive it. And that's 
pretty much what Perez was saying about the updated car in Barcelona. You know, he he would actually have been faster in the pre-updated car, significantly faster than he was in this car. Now, if you imagine there was no Max Verstappen and, you know, he he didn't exist and Sergio Perez was the lead driver of that car um, and they had a number two there who was saying the same things, then the team would give up on that. They would think, oh, that, that we've, we've gone wrong there then and they would proceed on a different, you know, they would come back to that, probably bring the old car back out and proceed off in a different direction, which wouldn't be as fruitful. So it's that, it, it, it's, it's that which determine, determines the way in which a really, really quick driver will um, influence the direction of travel of, of development, not the other way around. It's not the team saying, um, we will give, uh, uh, we'll make a Verstappen car and everybody else can just, you know, try and adapt as best they can. It's not like that. It, it, it's more... This is what the numbers saying. What's that like on the track? Yes, it's it's working. Yes, go and and they keep going in that direction. Yeah, it's a very important point. The drivers, every driver will have their own tolerances and what they can do, what they can deal with, what they can juggle. And really, I would say it's where that bar for tolerance kind of comes in that dictates what their ultimate potential is and their ability to win. Kind of week in, week out, you need that adaptability. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before that adaptability is probably the the number one thing you need of a of a world champion level driver obviously you need them to be quick etc 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 but yeah I think you have to be realistic and say when you look at say Verstappen and Perez a car optimized around what Perez wants will be will be slower than one optimized around what Verstappen wants in terms of performance potential it's can you extract that but I think it's also worth noting another important thing with Verstappen you know that run of wins it takes a hell of a lot week in week out to turn up be at or near enough to your best to deliver those wins and I think that's quite an important thing Mark that's something we can actually perhaps more tangibly compare in terms of who are the drivers who can actually do that over a season which factors in not only their own mentality and determination but also their adaptability and that kind of thing F1 history is full of these drivers who are considered good number twos who on their day can be fantastic but over a season they're going to be very much uh, very much up and down and in fact that's the majority of drivers will be very much up and down. It's it's the Verstappens of this world who are the standouts because they can do it race after race, season after season. Yeah, and that's that's partly um, psychology and just their their mental makeup and and training and you know nature and nurture, and it's partly just natural natural ability and how well you can you know, react to whatever circumstances throw at you, uh, whether that be a car balance or, um, you know, the way a, a track demands that you drive a car or whatever, you know, whether you, uh, it's tyre usage, you know, or have just having a, a enough spare capacity to understand the shape of a race and when to push and when you don't need to. And all those things, they, yeah, they're all part and parcel of um what goes into making someone that can deliver on demand every time he gets in the car. Yeah, and that's really what we're going to be talking about in this podcast. What other drivers could potentially do that? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hi, producer Johnny here, interrupting the show momentarily to tell you about Roan, a clothes brand we think you'd like. I don't know about you, but finding clothes you like can be tough. Sizes can vary from brand to brand, and fabrics can be poor quality or uncomfortable. We all know a good outfit can impact your confidence and help you feel your best, and that's where Roan comes in. Their range of stylish, functional, business casual menswear helps you look good without having to think about it. It's versatile, high quality and durable, and works in a range of social and professional settings. Roan's commuter collection includes products for every occasion, including the world's most comfortable pants, dress shirts, quarter zips, polos and blazers. It also features, and get this, wrinkle release technology and gold fusion anti-odor technology for more wears between washes, so you'll be fresh and clean all day long. Roan were kind enough to send me a shirt and some pants from the commuter collection, and I can tell they're going to be part of my wardrobe for a long time to come. The commuter collection could get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com forward slash race and use promo code race to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com forward slash race and use code race. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Well, let's now start to talk about some of the other drivers. Scott, we'll start off running through the various candidates. The obvious driver to evaluate is Lewis Hamilton. He's a driver who actually similar things were said about during the Mercedes dominance, as we're saying now about Verstappen. So could he beat Max Verstappen in a Red Bull or in other circumstances? Um, well, that's the I think that's the dream scenario after we saw in 2021 with uh, two different cars with different strengths on different circuits and the way that arguably the different drivers strengths played out as well so if you got if you got them in exactly the same machinery in a completely equitable environment I think Hamilton versus Verstappen is probably the one I'd be most fascinated to learn about Um, Hamilton is probably the trickiest one I find to separate from Verstappen into different areas because he's still capable of these astonishingly good qualifying performances. There is no outward sign of the one like one lap pace deteriorating or, or, or anything like that. And I'm sure we'll get on to him in a minute. Like I see Hamilton as a much bigger qualifying threat to a Fernando Alonso, for for example, who has many of his own qualities we'll get into. So I, I think the the key is that We've, t- we've heard Hamilton talk in the Mercedes with their difficulties about, you know, rear instability and not, and not having the, just wanting more rear, wanting more rear, wanting more rear. And you might hear that and think that, well, if we're talking about a Red Bull that's very positive on the front end and has a can have rear instability that the driver's unhappy with or has to contend with, then surely that's something that Hamilton would get tripped up by. But there are there's a different kind of rear rotation, rear instability. Alex Albon's talked about this really well in the past which is that as long as it's a kind of predictable consistent instability like you know how the rear is going to come round and and what it's going to do and that allows you to get in tune with how aggressive you can be on on the front my gut feeling and I defer judgment to Mark in particular 
when it comes to driving style and what they can contend with. My gut feeling would be that over one lap, I think Lewis would be perfectly competent with, with that kind of car and therefore could be a really interesting threat to Verstappen over one lap. Then in race trim, we know that Hamilton is relentlessly good in races. He's dogged, determined, he's got great perseverance, excellent, excellent tyre management, knows when to pick his battles. So even if you said that Verstappen would be the faster of the two, I don't see anything that Verstappen's doing in races that Hamilton couldn't in equal machinery. Where I confess I reach a sort of limit in my kind of knowledge and interpretation is whether there's anything about the Red Bull specifically, this Red Bull, that might catch Hamilton out. Yeah, it's interesting with Lewis. It, it, he doesn't have the same technique as Verstappen. He wants to get that rotation more from the steering and he's got a later, more geometric approach in his lines in, in, in slow corners with a, a very aggressive braking and turning phase. And for that to work requires that the rear keeps up with those demands and hence he's always calling to, to move the center of aero pressure rearwards. He's always talking to the aerodynamicists when they're conceiving the next year's car. He said, can we move it further rearwards? More, more, more. Uh, and on this car, it's very far forwards. And that's aside from the cockpit positioning issue. But these things are just like handwriting. One is not better than another. It's just the, the traits. And that's how he needs the, the car to be. And when it's like that, he will do extraordinary things. Um, but even when it's not like that, he can still transcend it. Um, it, it it's just not quite the same. You, a, a great driver has access to his highest ceiling when the car is doing what he needs it to do for his traits. But he will he will still find the limit of a car which um, doesn't have those traits. It's just he can find more from himself if the car is doing what he wants it to do. Um, so I would say in a, a car that is just how he likes it to be, he could be as fast or faster than Verstappen. Um, but if you put him in the Red Bull, I think he wouldn't be as quick as Verstappen. And I think he's more particular in what he needs to get to that special territory. Yeah, it's it's an interesting illustration, this comparison, because you can say without doubt that Hamilton can do, in broad terms, what Verstappen's doing, because he has done it. He's won multiple world championships. He's had periods of dominance. So that's just a, that's just a fact. And then what you were talking about there and what addressing about the characteristics and that kind of thing is... That's the small fine detail, isn't it? Where whether the, the swings can be made over a, over a season, and I think that's why it would be such a fascinating battle. I don't think it's ever going to happen that they're teammates, but it would be it would be a hell of a fight, wouldn't it? Because I know there's quite a few people who are either in one camp or the other, but both Verstappen and Hamilton are just absolutely great drivers, capable of doing in, incredible things. And yeah, it, it probably would come down to that adaptability side, and then all the. Uh, off-track challenges, should we say, in terms of who gets to be the the, the dominant driver in terms of development direction, etc., etc. Um, I guess we have to say Hamilton's age, obviously, he can't keep that at bay forever, but I haven't seen really any signs of deterioration. So if they were suddenly together now in a hypothetically neutral team, it would be absolutely fascinating, wouldn't it? What a battle that would be. But the problem is, is that this comes back to what we were saying at the very beginning, and we could end up with this caveat on every single entry, which is that it does depend on what situation you're talking about. In in Horner's, in Horner's original premise, I think I think you have to transpose the driver you're talking about 
in place of Verstappen, not alongside him. If Hamilton's there at Red Bull Racing alongside Perez, I don't really see that the headline statistics would change all that much. Do you? No, no, I don't see any um, any reason for it to. Um, we know that Hamilton can do that. Yeah, he's never won 10 in a row, but whether you can string together 10 in a row is partly a circumstantial thing as well. If you win that many races, then you're winning that many races, aren't you? And sometimes there'll be a brief discontinuity in a run. It's still a great achievement, but... Yeah, the, the sheer volume of achievement is is what really uh, is what really matters there. But yeah, I, I think yeah, probably with with Hamilton, you are you have got the most interesting driver because of his uh, of his history, which I guess means we can move on to an, uh, another driver in a similar location in uh, in George Russell, Mark, who obviously has shown pretty well against Hamilton over the past uh, eighteen months or so, but obviously he doesn't have anything like that track record. So what about a George Russell? Yeah, similar comments apply, really. He's incredibly fast. He's less aggressive with the car than Hamilton. He sort of nudges up to its limits rather than he goes over them and then comes back. Um, and it, it, there are certain situations where that's more effective, particularly when the car's not cooperating. Um, he could deal with a, a Red Bull uh, trait um, very effectively, I'm sure. And I'm sure his margin over Checo Perez would be um, of, a, of a similar extent, but whether he would have the last ounce of all-out qualifying speed compared to, to Max, and we're talking, you know, we're talking elite drivers, so we, we're talking tiny differences of degree, not not big chunks. I don't know. It's, it's a difficult one to say, but I would say that George is absolutely... In that bracket, he's in the in the, the elite driver bracket, and he, in the the right circumstances, could you know reel off a whole sequence of races and win a world championship quite comfortably. I'm sure. I think there would be a difference in the manner in which Russell would win the championship. I think he would be. I think he would step into he or he could step into that environment, that team, and handle that car in a way that means against, you know, if he's the one that's up against Perez, I think Russell still triumphs. And I think Russell would be an interesting challenge for for Verstappen as well, if the if the scenario you're envisaging is he goes there as Verstappen's teammate. But what I think is that Russell is still a little earlier in that development phase as, as a driver. You know, he's not inexperienced now. Um, he's been in F1, this is his fifth season, isn't it? So... He's got a good number of races under his belt. He's still evolving. He's still there's a lot of stuff he's grasped and is doing at an absolute top level. But as we've seen this year against Hamilton, he can be a little guilty of overcomplicating things. He can lose his way a little bit. There there can be little knocks, and you can argue that yeah, the, that's true. But the Mercedes is a very different kind of car to the Red Bull, and a lot more trouble. So it's easier to get lost. But at the same time, we don't have an alter an alternate case study for Russell in a top car and that run of what was it six qualifying defeats in seven races before the summer break to Hamilton is it wasn't as aggressive or dramatic but you know it's Perez Verstappen territory in terms of getting in this rut where things don't come together quite so much so I just think he'd have I think he'd have a few more of the off days so I still think on the on the balance of a season, you know, he's going to score pole positions, he's going to win races, and he 
definitely can be a world champion in that car, depending on the circumstances. But it just maybe wouldn't be wouldn't be quite so comprehensive. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And um, I think also what you have to look at, Max is, is part of his armory, what he's so brilliant at is his racecraft. And he just instinctively knows where to put the car in, in battle. And and sometimes George has looked a little bit clumsy in that. Not always, but been a few occasions where you you just it's very clear he's, he's put himself in a compromised position and not come out of it well. Um, but you know when you talk about the slump in his pace, yeah, he, he, there were several races in a in a row when he. He was behind Hamilton, but A, that, that is Lewis Hamilton, and B, the, the margins were small. There were less than a tenth of a second. There weren't these whole chunks of up to half a second that we've seen from Perez and Verstappen. And I don't think you'd ever see that with George. Yeah, it comes down to the question of not yet having been tested in that scenario, doesn't it? I think Russell certainly has the pace to do it but then it's a question of how often that pace is expressed as you say the racecraft all these other things you know we had this uh, this question with Verstappen obviously before he was in a championship winning car we knew he could win races we could see he was operating at a very high level and you kind of extrapolate that and think well yeah probably once he gets into a championship winning car he will be able to have this kind of success and and so it's proved I think that's the kind of interesting question I've been trying to work out where I sort of see Russell in terms of future world champion compared to where I saw Verstappen at a similar point. I, I feel like, I, I think Russell can be. I'm, I'm not quite as 100% cast iron certain in Russell as maybe I was in Verstappen at an equivalent point. That's probably where I put him, but it's not sort of orders of magnitude difference. I think he will succeed in the, in that scenario. What do you reckon, Scott? Do you think do you have as much confidence in Russell as, say, a 2020 Verstappen, which I guess would be the equivalent year, 2019 rather, fifth season? Oh, 2019, I think, was the season where Verstappen really started to cement himself as, like, that's when he really went up a level and, and started to just do everything almost metronomically. I, I think 2020 was even better. I actually think 2020 was the first great Verstappen season. That That was absolutely superb. 2019 a little bit trickier because obviously there were more teams in the mix you still had you know Ferrari from time to time and it was easier to to trip up or get caught out by something else I, I would agree in principle that I would agree with the principle that Russell not quite as convincing as Verstappen at that point but the flip side of that is that by 2019 that was the that was the fourth season in which Verstappen was driving for in a race winning car so Yes, he was, you know, age-wise or number of seasons into F1, it was the same. But as we've said, the circumstances that they'd gone through were different. And that moulds you as a driver. It puts you in different position and teaches you different things. I am I suspect by Russell's third or fourth season in a Mercedes, we will judge him differently to how we're talking about him now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's what happens when you get into hypotheticals, isn't it? I guess you... Um it's interesting actually that point you make about 19 versus 20 because yeah I was sort of putting myself back yeah there is a step um, across that period as well so I guess that's perhaps something we'll be looking for from uh, from George Russell in terms of whether he can make that step forward should we talk about another driver who again a different story Scott Charles Leclerc certainly very fast no question about that Yes, and in a more of a Verstappen style position than a Russell in terms of that time in a 
in a top team and environment, that exposure to the pressure of winning races and also the very unique I said very unique, I don't like that. The, the the unique situation and pressure that comes with driving for Ferrari. You know, this is a driver who has won at Monza in a Ferrari. And whatever you make about that Ferrari season and that being at the time where there was question marks about Ferrari's engine and, and, and whatnot, there was immense pressure put on Leclerc in that race. And, and, and it's moments like that that always stand out to me as an example of exactly what he can withstand as a driver because there is a there is more of a question mark over Leclerc from a temperament probably the wrong word um capacity to be you know just relentlessly relentlessly effective you know the mistakes creep in here and there what's very different to the process that Verstappen went through and what Leclerc's gone through, one is he didn't have Verstappen didn't have the monstrous dip in competitiveness for his team, which Leclerc did in 2020 and then the rebuild in 21. And two, when having a car that can fight for poles and wins hasn't had the same kind of it'll bite you if you get it wrong. Now, had that a bit in 19 and 20, certainly Verstappen, but that was also in a context of a dominant Mercedes. So so it's still not like for like for what for what Leclerc had in 2022, for example. I think on sheer pace, I would say that Leclerc is absolutely phenomenal. And in certain conditions, quite wide ranging conditions as well, I reckon on balance, Leclerc is probably the fastest driver in F1. If you want, if you want a driver that will pull out that special lap, I I think Leclerc will do that fractionally more than Verstappen would but right now if I'm putting the two against each other over a season I'm backing Verstappen yeah I think I'd agree with that I guess with Leclerc Mark we talked about how good Verstappen is handling a tricky car on the limit that kind of thing the question is with Leclerc does he maybe fall off the tightrope a little bit too often or does it all come together once he's in a car where he maybe doesn't feel he has to you know, be on that tightrope all the time to get the, the pace he wants out of it? Well, that's the always the crucial question, isn't it? That you, that you can pull off something in a car which doesn't deserve it by walking that tightrope. You can't really be criticised when you fall off it every now and again. Now, um, can he, if, if you give him such a car, and he did have one at the beginning of uh, last year, would he be just a routine winner with it. And I think the answer that came back in the beginning of last year was yes, absolutely. Um, but as the competitiveness fell away, then you start seeing the incidents. And, uh, you know, so I think it's just a, a refusal to accept limitations sometimes, which um, means he doesn't get the results that um, are sometimes possible. Um, but I, th- I think another uh, dimension to this is part of what makes Verstappen so consistently great is the dominance of his personality and that demanding nature you hear over the radio might not always be attractive to those unfamiliar with such intensely competitive environments, but it's part of what allows him to maintain his level. And I don't see that so much in Charlie. He's ruthless when he needs to be. We saw that in Monza 2019, especially against his own team. Um, and he's incredible at shutting out emotions and delivering regardless. We've seen, you know, some of his greatest wins have come in times of real emotional turbulence. He's one very tough cookie, despite the angelic appearance, but I see that only in moments of 
severe strain. I think in the normal run of things, he can be a little passive. And, um, and maybe maybe that's just survival in, in such an environment as Ferrari. I don't know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a question mark for me in terms of is he the full package that Verstappen is? Yeah, I think it's difficult when it comes to this, doesn't it? Because, like you say there, you can say, oh, it's down to... You know, trying to push a little bit too hard to extract performance that isn't there. That means he he has the uh, he has the errors. But at the same time, the driver's fundamental job is to get the most out of the opportunity. And if that most is fifth or seventh or third or second, doesn't necessarily matter so much. It's about achieving the maximum potential, which is why probably of all of the drivers we've talked about, there'll be a number who haven't been in proper championship challenging situations. Leclerc's the one who I feel I'm most interested in seeing. Can he do that? Does he have that mentality? I sort of, I think he'll probably be okay. But again, I'm slightly less confident than I was at, in Verstappen at an equivalent time. So that that's the big question for me. I think as um, unimaginative as it, as it sounds, given this will probably be quite similar to what I, how I ultimately summarised Russell. But I think Leclerc would definitely, again, would be a driver where you put him in the Verstappen position with this car as the lead driver in the team. I think even if you, let's say you gave Ferrari this Red Bull and it was Leclerc and Sainz in the RB19 in a Ferrari environment, I think Leclerc comes out on top in that. I think he wins the World Championship, he scores a great many wins, he an enormous number of pole positions. Do I think Leclerc's the kind of driver who as a driver can make the contribution required to win 10 races or more in a row? I'm 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 less convinced about that just purely purely because I think over a season and this is such a vanishingly small percentage it is really it's a, such a hypercriticism of Leclerc over a 23 24 race season I do think there are one or two races where Leclerc goes missing is an unfair way of putting it but but just slips up in some way and I think I think the, the the chance of that happening with him is just slightly higher for Verstappen. And because that potential is slightly greater, there's obviously a chance that that comes during that run of straight race wins. So on balance, world champion, no no question. Give him a give him a good car, and especially a good car in an environment where he's the team leader. Leclerc's a world champion, and he would win the 2022 title um, as well, even with a... That wouldn't necessarily have to have the most dominant car. You know, he's a multiple world champion with the right machinery. Is he quite the emphatically, relentlessly dominant winning machine? May, may, maybe not. Yeah, and I think what you're highlighting there is that you can be extremely effective in the scenario Verstappen's in without necessarily being quite so bludgeoningly dominant, should we say. And that then reflects very well on on Verstappen. Let's move on now, Mark, to a very different sort of driver. Fernando Alonso, obviously a two-time world champion. Not had the best 10, uh, 10 years or so, but still performing at a high level. So I guess he's perhaps the most potentially controversial and, and tantalising driver to talk about among this group. Yeah, I, I don't believe he's lost anything from his great, you know, the, the great years of his career. I think he's still absolutely at that level. Um, and he shares with Verstappen that incredibly adaptive trait of being able to drive anything very, very fast. No matter what kind of car you give him, um, he will find a way of getting a tune out of it. And it, it 
pretty much instantly. Um, and he is just incredibly relentless. And he's like a, like a terrier, isn't he? he? He will not let go of even the slightest, the slightest opportunity. Um, he will just be a complete pain for anybody he's, he's um, attacking. Uh, you, you, you can't get rid of him. Um, he's got his, his racecraft is, I would say, probably the, the best in the field, maybe even better than Max's in the way that uh, he places the car. You watch him on the first lap, even as recently as Zanvot, the way he did that, what he did um, in, in taking those places on the first lap. It was just incredible. And he is every, every aspect of being a great racing driver, every little de- department you create he scores sort of 99% at, at, at everything. Um, I would say his peak is uh, not as high in terms of all flat-out qualifying lap time. I don't think he's as outright quick as uh, Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Charles Leclerc over one lap, but we're talking a tiny difference. We're talking maybe a tenth at most. Um, but he is incredibly... It's a very, very wide peak it's a less pointy peak but a very very wide one and he is just um, a force of nature incredible driver I, I think if you gave Alonso a car as good as the RB19 I think he could I've, <laughs> I use the word easily knowing what what it means but I think he would easily have a chance of rewriting records for most wins in a season um, it'd be a world it'd be the champion for, for, for sure up against Verstappen would be an like directly up against Verstappen in that car would just be utterly, utterly fantastic. I also think it might be the absolute end of Red Bull Racing and just cause the total collapse of it. Um, but the one thing I did wonder, and I sort of posed this question to both of you, is while I think obviously Alonso comes out on top against um, pretty much anyone other than a Verstappen or a Hamilton, which would be immensely difficult to call, how often over that season do you think, with a good teammate alongside him, Alonso would potentially just make life a bit too difficult for himself in qualifying. You know, there'd be the odd street track maybe where he's just not fast enough over one lap, so he's just not got the right track position. Or could he even have those qualifying sessions where he's third or fourth on the grid and therefore his very good teammate just has enough of a head start to keep him at bay? Is that more likely to happen with an Alonso, for example, than a Verstappen? That would happen now and again, and it did happen at McLaren in 2007. Now and again, but there are other situations where you know he's, I think, um, his more rounded set of abilities would be. You know, it, it depends on the situation, depends on the car. As the caveat with all of these, um, I think over a season he would be. Um, you'd say it would be if if Max can do ten in a row, could Alonso in the same car? If you took Max out of it, yes. If you <laughs> if you put Max and Alonso in the car, then no, neither of them do that. If you put Max and Alonso in the same car, I don't think Red Bull are winning 10 races in a row. <laughs> <laughs> that would be combustible, to to say the least. But it, it, it would make an interesting balance because I think you would see Verstappen would be ahead on the qualifying comparison. I don't think it would be a clean sweep or anything like that. As you said, Mark, it's, it's tiny differences. But then in Alonso, you've got one of the most innovative and relentless racers there's ever been in Grand Prix racing of anyone. So... 
yeah, that could make things very, very interesting. But then again, Verstappen's very, very good at that. Look how easy he makes very difficult things look. So that's a that's a hell of a uh, a hell of a question. Um, but yeah, I think probably if we want to come back to that Horner question about beating Verstappen in this car, certainly possibly he could certainly do what Verstappen is doing. I think because the other thing is driving style wise, he's a very adaptable driver. He's able to drive pretty much anything. He he does. I usually say he doesn't really have a default driving style, but he he will tend towards being a slightly smoother driver. Like this year, if you watch the onboards, he's been a far more smooth driver than perhaps he has been at times in lesser cars when he's had to really hustle them. But he he can do incredible things. But then again, so can Verstappen in terms of that. So yeah, this is a this is a really fascinating uh, question between uh, between those two. Should we move on to our final featured driver? We will speak about a few others, Scott. Lando Norris. He's the one driver who hasn't won a Grand Prix, so I imagine a few people listening will think, why on earth are we going to even start talking about him? So why is he in the mix? Well, he's that wild card option, isn't he, who is someone that Red Bull thinks extremely highly of, so much so that they've tried to sign him at least twice so far. Uh, once before he'd even got to F1. Um, Red Bull rate him extremely highly. Verstappen rates him extremely highly as well. Max says if you gave him a race-winning car, Lando would be winning races, no question. So he's definitely in that kind of upper echelon of, of talents, just hasn't had the machinery to to prove it in terms of the uh, raw statistics. Then you get into the specifics of how Lando drives, how adaptable he's been and what he's put up with at McLaren. You know, look at the way that he buried Daniel Ricciardo in a car that was so difficult to drive. I think, um, I think it stands to reason that Lando would be quite well suited to dealing with the, the particular particularities of, of a Red Bull, not just in terms of coping, but in terms of getting the most out of it. He's ferociously fast over one lap when everything's aligned and he's also getting incredibly effective at, at races the last couple of seasons in particular he's really smoothened out a few of the rough edges and you know he's still not perfect I think this season proved that when things are a little bit tricky and he's got a teammate that's really pushing him Lando can trip up so he's in that kind of um I don't know he, he's in that Russell Leclerc bracket for me in terms of I really think there's something in this driver who could achieve amazing things, win loads of races and be world champion. It, it It's just a bit trickier to judge because he hasn't even been in a race winning environment consistently. You know, where, where where's he falling? Is he a world champion in a good year when the stars align or is he an absolutely crushing all conquering person in the way that an Alonso Hamilton or Verstappen would be? That that's the bit I'm not brave enough to offer an opinion on just because I think there's just fractionally more of an unknown with him. Yeah, I think you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of the unknown when it comes to Norris. He's certainly outstandingly good and he's he's consistently impressed me since he's come into Formula One with the steps he's made. I think he's a probably a slightly more intelligent driver than people give him credit for in the way he approaches it because of part of his off-track persona. But yeah, it's it's that how someone will respond up front regularly in winning positions. What do you think, Mark? Can you extrapolate what Norris has been doing pretty much entirely in the in the midfield in F1 into a Red Bull style scenario? Not with any certain deal precision, as you say. Um, but I would say, yeah, he shows very similar traits to Verstappen in his adaptability to um, cars which may not be perfectly balanced. And he has that uh, great turn of speed. He also has, um, you know, 
is is very much you know we talked about Leclerc being maybe a little bit passive. He's certainly not passive. Um, he's very very active and getting things around him as as he wants them to be. Uh, sometimes his clarity of thought might not be as good as say. Well, you used to notice it when he was teamed with Carlos Sainz in particular, but um, you, you know you, you you know with Max or Alonso or Hamilton, or not so much Hamilton actually, but Max or Alonso, you know that they will always very very quickly grasp the situation, how a race is unfolding for them, and when the critical moments are going to be. I, I I don't know whether Lando has that, and. It, and Interestingly, it, it's it's still not Lewis Hamilton's greatest strength either. Um, but you know, Lewis Hamilton won <laughs> what he would um, with with that set of traits. I don't think that's debilitating necessarily. Um, the the only little little niggle that, that, that's picking up in my, in my brain is Oscar Piastri has arrived there as a rookie. And in certain conditions and in certain types of corner, he's been even faster. Now, he's nowhere near the com- complete package yet. He's nowhere near as effective overall as Lando. But there are there are certain situations in which he's even faster. So, you know, is Piastri the new Senna or is, is Lando the new Berger? You know, you, it's, it's like that. You, 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 until you get in that situation, until you're given the car, um, that's that that distinction is is an unknown. But what's absolutely certain is that he would win a whole heap of races in a in a, in a good car, in a car as good as the Red Bull, and um, is fully capable of of absolutely leading leading that team. You know, if Max wasn't there, but um, yeah, it, it, with as Max's teammate, you know, how do you how do you even begin to uh, try to beat that combination? Yeah, it's uh. It- it's fascinating and it kind of gets to the heart of this entire group of drivers that we've pulled out for specific um, interrogation here. I know, as Ed just mentioned, there are a few more sort of on the periphery that do merit a little bit of discussion, but not in quite the same way, because ultimately Verstappen's clearly making out making out a reputation for being one of the best F1 drivers in history not just the not not even the among the best of his generation so even if you were asking who's the who's the best F1 driver to establish themselves in the 2020s you're asking someone like Russell someone like Leclerc to you're judging them against an immensely high benchmark even in that context in Verstappen because the best of your generation is an enormous enormous standard when you then throw in the fact that we're talking decades of F1 history and Verstappen is almost like the he's like the sum of all that came before him in terms of the, the 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 way that he the way that he operates the way he's built the team around him the skills that he has as 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 the driver now he doesn't have every single world champion before him's best trait and there are definitely ways in which Verstappen could be a better and more effective performer but what what I'm saying is that it 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 takes it takes someone who is so so supremely well rounded to be able to even come close to thinking they could do what Verstappen's doing, and that's why I think of those specific ones we've said there. It's not really a surprise to me that we've all kind of reached the conclusion that it's Hamilton and Alonso that make the most 
com- you can make the most compelling arguments around. And then there's like a fascinating question mark over Leclerc's, Russell's, Norris's, who are Verstappen's peers in an age group and a generation, and just might just might not be quite as good as him. And even if they're half a percentage short of him as a driver, it's going to be difficult to achieve what he's achieved. It won't stop them winning races and winning championship. It just might stop them rewriting history in quite the same way. Yeah, exactly. And it's interesting to come back to that Horner quote. He said, don't think there's anybody in the world right now that could beat Max Verstappen in this car. Well, there are maybe a few who could, but there's nobody who I would say absolutely they would. I think it it comes down to the you know, those occasions where we've had two all-time great drivers up against each other in the same team, it tends to kind of go one way or the other. It's not consistently one destroys the other. That's what uh, makes those battles between the, these great drivers so uh, so fascinating. But uh, yeah, those, I guess, are the main candidates, but there are a few more we'll talk about in a moment. We'll get back to the pod in a moment. But first, a word about our partner, Grammarly. No matter what kind of work you do, how you communicate is key. All those emails, reports and presentations are equally important to the collaboration needed to get things done. And Grammarly can help. Grammarly is your AI writing partner to help you communicate more effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact at work. I know from experience that Grammarly can help you save time on any writing task and ensure you feel confident about what you've produced. In fact, 96% of Grammarly's users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing, and their tone suggestions can help you navigate even the most difficult work conversations. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Sign up and download for free at grammarly.com forward slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said done. So Mark, we've picked out the five obvious candidates, but what about the rest? We talked about Leclerc, for example. So what about Carlos Sainz? He's a Grand Prix winner and compares pretty well to Charles Leclerc at Ferrari. Yeah, and he compared pretty well to Max um, at Toro Rosso as well. The race and qualifying averages were incredibly uh, similar over a season and what was it, four, four races, season plus four races. Um, but I think... Sainz was at the advantage there and that he he came in to his rookie season with five years of car racing experience already, whereas Max had won. So I think that difference has been amplified since then as, as Max has got more experience. Um, Carlos is a very, very high level driver. He's probably a little, just a little bit short of the elite level of drivers that we've been talking about, that last little ounce of speed do you see it against Leclerc um, but you know Leclerc just needs to go off the boil a little bit and there you go this Carlos is capable of sticking the car on pole and, and beating you to the, the podium position at, at Monza so yeah extremely good very um, very good technically um, very calm I think uh, he's a very high level driver but I, for me not quite at that elite level 
Yeah, I kind of have him as a super number two, if you want to put it that way. And that's not damning with faint praise. That's, you know, a number two is not just simply someone who is not as good as the lead driver, but he's someone who's who's right there. And I think he's actually a driver who probably in, he could be one of those drivers who nicks a championship if a few things go for him, shall we say. Whereas uh, I tend to think of the absolute elite bucket that Verstappen's in, which is a very small number of drivers are the ones who uh, are absolute bankers to win world championship. Anyone you'd like to talk about, Scott? In terms of, who would who could beat Verstappen? Given given the context of the the second Red Bull seat and where they were at when Verstappen was still very much in the ascendancy as a driver, it I would really, really like to see an absolute all cylinders firing Daniel Ricardo back at Red Bull just to just to see where they've been because Ricardo is one of the few drivers who has proven he can beat Verstappen, but they were at such different phases of their career. Ricardo's stock was never higher as an F1 driver. Um, there was that point where I think he'd won, was it he'd taken two wins in the first five or six races in, in 2018, and Verstappen was in that run of having pointless clashes and needing to adjust the way he was doing things, the famous changer approach part of Verstappen's career. So you could argue that that was a little bit like trying to compare a you know trying to compare Jensen Button and Lewis Hamilton when the when the sample set is that quite chaotic run that Lewis had in was it 2011 I think um it's difficult to to draw that conclusion but if you let's say for argument's sake you could get Ricardo back to his absolute best and put him in at Red Bull next year or 2025 or or whenever it is. I'd just be really interested to see how they front up because I think again to use that specific Horner framing could could Ricardo beat Verstappen in I I think in isolated circumstances yeah and maybe even beat him more than Perez can. But I don't think I certainly don't think he's out qualifying him over a season. I don't think he's out racing him over a season, and I don't think he's, I don't think he's beating Verstappen to a championship. How Ricardo does if he's the one that you then pop in at Red Bull, and then put a Perez alongside him, depends what Ricardo you get, doesn't it? But there's an argument that Ricardo isn't even the absolute guaranteed world champion in that scenario. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, isn't it? That it comes down to the fact that. As Verstappen got into the, was very much in the ascendancy over Ricardo in the end of their partnership together. It's yeah, certainly in terms of uh, in terms of beating him overseas, and you know, I'd agree, no, but yeah, could be an interesting one. There's another driver as well that's an old teammate in Alex Alban who's having a phenomenal season. Now I'm not going to sit here and say he'd be outperforming Verstappen given what happened last time, but he has coalesced into a much better version of the of, of himself, a much better version of the driver he could be. At Williams, I think Albon's actually been one of the standout drivers of, of this season because it's not just flashing the pan performances. He's performing consistently really well. And yeah, as we've discussed, Oscar Piastri is the other interesting one. I'm fascinated to see how Norris versus Piastri plays out because Piastri's been coming on really, really well. Either of those, would you make a case for, Mark? Or do you think there that there's, well, one's already been down that route, the other one, maybe not enough information yet? Oh, Piastri, I, I don't have any real doubts about. I think he's the real deal, and I think he's going to be winning races and world championships in his in his future. Um, it's just you know we we're talking about 
extents of greatness. <laughs> it's far too early to, to assess that, but in terms of general potential, and is he capable of being a, a, a Grand Prix winner and a world champion? Yeah, totally. Um, Daniel, in, yeah, peak Daniel, um, absolutely. He would uh, wipe the floor with Perez in, in if you just took Max out and put peak Daniel in, but I don't know if we ever see peak Daniel again. I, I, I don't know. It, it's I don't know how much damage has been done. So I think that uh, I think that might be one one of those questions we're never going to get, get the answer to. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen Ricardo in a genuine championship challenging car at some point at the right time because I think he is one of those drivers who you would say never had the chance to really take on that challenge and I think that's that's potentially always going to be a, a disappointing omission from his career but maybe he does get into a Red Bull and then at least that question can be answered so uh, I guess really what you alluded to there well we're talking about an absolute all-time great in Verstappen there's no doubt whatsoever about that and the the, the bucket of all-time greats in Grand Prix history is not very big there's not very many of them so fundamentally Horner is is about right in in what he says and I I think it's important because there's so much kind of arguing that goes on on social media and this kind of thing about you know my driver's better than your driver etc etc with Verstappen versus various others versus Hamilton versus Alonso etc but we're quite fortunate to have so many outstanding drivers operate in the past 10-15 years we've had completely consistently on the grid there have been a number of drivers who fall into that bracket which is uh, absolutely great to be able to to watch so uh, yeah I, th- I think it's very very hard in this time in this place though the current Red Bull the current Red Bull car scenario to see anybody being able to to beat Verstappen overall but yeah you never get those exact same circumstances so yeah I guess the lesson there is as well that it's quite rare for a, a driver, no matter how great, to get into this sort of scenario and they have to make the most of it. And you certainly can't say that Verstappen has failed to do that. He's absolutely maximising what he can get, racking up every single victory he can get his hands on. And so he should. Well, thanks very much to Scott and to Mark for your insight. Head to therace.com and don't forget the hyphen. Plenty to read there. Check out our other podcasts, including the Race F1 Tech Show with Gary Anderson, Bring Back V10s, our IndyCar podcast, Formula E, Moto GP, and also check out our YouTube channel for short and long-form videos. Well, we're now heading off to Singapore, so stay with us for everything you need to know from the world of Formula One. The Athletic. <laughs> 